0: podcast where we discuss the competitive side of the game. My name is Charles. With me are Richard, Ian, and special guest returning to the podcast, Andrew. Andrew is here today to talk to us about two profiles. We will be covering Dane Ironfoot, Lord of the Iron Hills, and Dane Ironfoot, King Under the Mountain. And in our open topic, we'll be discussing theme and how it affects the game. So just to catch up with Andrew quickly how have you been between uh the last time you came on the show and now have you been doing some new armies or have you been trying out different lists lately
1: yeah thanks charles thanks richard thanks uh ian for having me on the show uh as you guys know i'm a huge fan really happy to be back I think since last time I was on the show, I've gotten a number of projects done. I painted up a whole Rohan army. Uh, I was on the clock because if you guys remember, my wife and I were expecting. So I was painting like a madman every day because I didn't know when the next time I'd be able to was. So I think I painted probably like 75 Rohan models, half of which were Cav in like a month. And uh, I think is, you know, one of the better armies that I've painted. So I've been playing a lot with that. I'm hoping to get a game in soon with uh, Guard. I've been playing a lot of Defenders of Helm's Deep, trying to do like, you know, not just the all cap Rohan, but like mix it up a little bit. So I've been having a lot of fun with that. I've done some smaller projects like I've been inspired by uh, or or perhaps corrupted by Richard on the podcast to wanting to try out some of these like kind of funkier lists. So I built a bunch of like small war bands that I hear you guys talking about a lot that I want to just kind of try out so I've never played the Spider Queen you guys just did the episode with young Duke on the Spider Queen I just painted that up about a month or two ago I haven't had a chance to play her yet but I'm super excited to do that I also painted up a small Florian contingent after I did the Defenders of Helm's Deep so I've got like the Ladriel some guards of the Fountain Court you know just kind of good units and good small armies to kind of throw into my existing forces and try to play the game a little bit differently so I'm really looking forward to that. And then, you know, anybody who who knows me knows that I hate Easterlings. I've always hated Easterlings. I was never into them in the books or movies. I was definitely not into their play style. And this defense of the north just has been a complete 180 for me. So I'm now on full blown Easterling mode. I'm uh, doing an Easterling con alliance and i'm working on kind of like an asian you know cherry blossom like ruined city theme so i'm really looking forward to it i started this before all the new rules came out just kind of hoping that they were going to be good and i'm really happy with with how they turned out i know that's not the topic for the day but those are kind of the projects i'm working on and i'm hoping to get actually a couple games in soon and then Probably some events over the summer to get back into it. But, you know, with the newborn, I've certainly had to take a little break from my gaming, but still been hobbying here and there.
2: Okay. So, since you bring up Defense of the North, yeah, like we're not going to talk about too much of that today, but I wanted to ask you is there a certain legion or some sort of army that incorporates one of the new profiles that came out that you're probably most excited about trying? Oh, yeah. That's a really good question. I think the one I'm most excited about
1: is probably the, uh, the double bear legion just from like a fun perspective. I think that'd be really fun to put on the table i've actually played with bayorn quite a bit i just thought the model was really cool i got like a third-party model from i don't even remember what if it's ridgeback like one of the smaller companies in europe makes a really cool bayorn model that i painted up a while back and he was actually my aragorn in uh, quest for the ring bear i did a quest for the ring bear campaign with bayorn as my kind of leader so i love playing with him i'm one of the guys who always rolls a four plus to switch him into a bear so i've never had a problem and i think the double monstrous is it's just gonna be fun like I, I think you guys know me i'm kind of you know definitely slanted on the competitive side but if i can play a list where i'm just having a really good time i'm really excited about that one i think there's some really competitive legions in the new book i think the assault on wathlorian is both really competitive and looks really really fun i'm also the guy who's been i'm the goblin archer hipster I play with my buddy evan and we do a lot of goblins first dwarves to have like thematic armies and so i'll just run moria goblins spam it's not the most competitive but i'll have like you know 20 archers in, in this huge list and you know i just roll sixes with those guys man like they're not good statistically and i'm a very mathematical player but i've killed like balan right as he was about to run away from seizing the prize like those archers have come through for me so i, I think they'll be really good in that legion I think the Easterling Legion is really strong. I'm not the biggest fan of it because we might get into this later. I don't love just free points in a Legion. I think it's cooler to do other things like the Legions where Aragorn gets, you know, Andoril for free. Like those aren't my favorite types of rules. I feel like it just disincentivizes you from taking those models outside of the Legion, which I don't love. But I do think it's a really competitive legion. I think I'm probably going to lean more towards building Easterlings allied with other forces. I think they can be just as good, especially with the new Dragon Emperor. So those are the ones I'm kind of excited about. I was pretty disappointed, to be honest, in the and Erebor ones. Um, I really wanted to love it. But, you know, I-, I thought they did an OK job in terms of theme, but not really legions that I would be super excited to play.
0: I think you are the perfect person to have on to talk about this in the open topic when we talk about theme because you're a competitive player, but you also like thematic lists and things like that. So I think this is the perfect episode to do it. And also just with the timing of the release of the new book, we can pull a lot of examples from the new book. So excited to get into that later on. But first, our double feature episode will be the two Dane profiles. So we have four lists today two around the new Dane and two with the old Dane profile. So we'll start with the first profile, which is Dane Ironfoot, Lord of the Iron Hills. The of a to a sense of duty. I'll just go over his profile. So he is a hero in the Iron Hills list. He's a hero of legend, base 140 points. He's move five, fight six with the four plus shoot, Strength 5, Defense 8, 3 attacks, 3 wounds, and Courage 7. He's a hero legend. 3 might, 3 will, and 3 fate. He has heavy door farmer and a two-handed hammer. His heroic actions are heroic resolve, march, strike, strength, and challenge. And he can take a warbore for 20 points. His warbore is a mount with a movement of 8, Fight 4, Strength 4, Defense 6, 2 wounds, and Courage 3. He has six special rules. First two are Burly and Fearless. His next special rule is called Lord of the Iron Hills. Basically, any model with an Iron Hills Dwarf keyword within 12 inches of Dane will automatically pass all Courage tests they are required to take. The next special rule he has is Fiery Temper. As soon as Dane kills an enemy model for the rest of the game, if Dane is in range to charge, he must charge. His next special rule is Fearsome Charge. In a turn where Dane Ironfoot charges into combat, he causes terror until the end of the turn. And the final rule is headbutt. If Dane wins a duel roll but fails to slay his opponent, select one enemy man-sized or smaller model in the fight and roll a D6. On a 5+, Dane will headbutt that model and it will be knocked to the ground. I've actually had the headbutt happen a couple times before, You know, given you remember to do it, because uh, I don't know if you guys have had this experience, but I've forgotten a couple times.
1: Oh yeah, that one's easy to forget for sure. But I've I've also headbutted people and it's just one of those things where it's like punching people with helm hammer hand, right? It's like you, you just want to play the game just to say that you've done it, right? Like, oh yeah, I had I headbutted a guy. Yeah, I lost the match, but we're not gonna talk about that. We're just gonna talk about how many people I headbutted that game.
2: I think it's so easy to forget because 99 percent of the time you're just gonna kill the enemy model if you win the fight anyway. So I don't even have the opportunity to headbutt. Right, exactly. <laughs> So I'm I'm happy to get the party
1: started here. Charles and I have been kind of chatting back and forth, and, and I've certainly had some issues with you guys in the past on the rating scale. Just like you guys, you've got too much of a bell curve. Like every hero can't be like a, a seven, an eight, or a nine. You know, you really need to start differentiating a little bit more and I was saying to charles i'm like i think there's probably you know three ish heroes in the game that i would put at a 10 and i'll just say my rating scale is going to be a little bit different than you guys so i don't really take a lot of yellow alliances so i totally understand that i feel like your scale is more biased towards oh this model is just an auto include in any force in the game kind of like a a lady of light before the change to hero fortitude i totally understand that but just like for my playstyle, I mostly play Green Alliances or Legendary Legions. I don't do a ton of Yellow Alliances, so I'm viewing it in the vacuum of just like if it, you were to take a pure list or a green list. And I think Dane Ironfoot Lord of the Iron Hills is one of the best models in the game. I think what sets him apart for me from some of these other like skew heroes like a spider queen like a suladan or a baromir of gondor is he's just so consistently gonna do his thing in the game and as somebody who's you know a very kind of mathematical player i value that so highly because i don't have to worry about you know baromir getting hit by a siege weapon and getting taken out on the first turn because he's got no fate i don't have to worry about you know spider queen getting an unlucky shot or or something like that He's defense eight. Um, he's got three wounds and three fate. And then if you take him on the war boar, as Charles mentioned, he's got a defense six mount with two wounds. So the only thing in the game that's wounding the mount on something better than sixes is if you have strength four shooting. So like Urukai, crossbows, corsairs, or like a great bow from Bard, I guess so you wind up having him on the boar most of the time i've I've lost the boar in like one or two games that i've played with dane out of probably you know 30-ish and it was just super super lucky kind of he he wound up losing a combat i was playing a guy who had moran and orcs so strength four just happened to roll two fives and, and take out the mount but for the most part he winds up being able to knock people down the entire game And then what I love about him, and we'll talk about this later when we get into my list, but he's really kind of your your model that you can throw into those hard-to-crack enemies. So I play a lot of uh, Survivors of Lake Town. If you guys remember last time, I talked about a list that I had with Dane and Bard. I really like combining him with either Bard or Thranduil, because I find both Bard and Thranduil are really great at killing troops and like low-defense models. But then if you need to send Thranduil into like a d7 or a d8 model with his strength four he can really struggle to kill them so that's where i like to combine dane and have him come in at strength five with uh with a burly two-handed weapon so there's nothing in the game that he's going to have a really hard time dealing with I've one shot, I think I said this in, in the Bard episode because I was playing the two heroes together, but I've one shot the um, Blackgate Opens troll, like the leader troll with Dane, and he just always seems to get the job done for me. And what puts him at such a high ranking in my mind is the fact that he's such a great combat hero. He's so consistent, like I mentioned. And he also adds benefit to the rest of your army. So he's got the ability to make all Iron Hills within 12 inches, which is an insanely large range. It's basically gonna be your whole battlefield because you have shield wall troops. They all automatically pass their courage test. So, you know, I've had Dane come up against Angmar and you certainly have to worry about the spells from the casters, but the, is it specters? The Denmark specters that that make you test on courage and, and can move you you don't have to worry about that at all I mean I know it's a bit corner case but you guys especially always talk on the podcast about how there's so many courage shenanigans in your meta so just having a leader who's so hard to take down who gives your really really tough basic troops the ability to auto pass courage I mean if you're coming up against like a Mordor list that's relying on terror with like a ringwraith and some uh, black Numenorians, which is a very common list you don't even care i mean you're taking away one of their biggest advantages and to me that's that's his best rule I, I think the best special rule is the fearless bubble for all of his buddies the fact that he gets terror on the charge you know it's good i, I found not a lot of times are people kind of counter dane if your opponent's in a position to counter dane with a hero that would pass the courage check you're probably not playing him right and you're probably you know putting him at risk so i found that that one doesn't really come up that often We were joking about the headbutt, but I have had the same issue that that Richard does where I just kill everybody, so there's nobody left to headbutt. And I think when you read this profile as a newer player, you see the fiery temper and think that that would be a downside. But it's never been a downside for me. And I think the biggest reason is he doesn't have to charge the closest model. He just has to charge. So I think once he kills somebody, you're going to want him in combat anyway. And you just have to keep sending him into charge, which, again, I don't really find as a downside and then another benefit is the army bonus right so if you take him in a green list with allies or just iron hills on its own he gets the master of battle four plus special rule which is just so fantastic because if you're playing just pure iron hills you don't really have a ton of might you're usually taking him and maybe a captain I never really take Marin and Drar with him like they would be the guys to give you more might but you know I found that it really helps with contesting heroic moves because you can see kind of if you get it for free and a lot of times you just wind up making your opponent waste resources. It's not as good as like, you know, an Azog or a Bolg in their Azog's Legion list where they just get it automatically. But I mean, four plus, that's pretty good. You're getting, i found usually kind of two to three free might points per game. And on top of that, there's just such a psychological element to master of battle that I think people are going to see with the new Rutabi hero as well. It's not a super common rule, but I actually find that when you have it on a on a roll, like you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. Dane's is the only one I can think of besides the captains that have it on like a, a roll. I might be wrong on that, but the other ones I can think of like Gothmog and Azog and Bog, just get it automatically but unless I'm forgetting someone the ones that get it on a roll I actually find strike more fear into your opponent than the ones that get it automatically because if you're calling a heroic move against Azog or Bolg or Gothmog like you just know that they're copying it and you know it's a 50 50. for some reason like the uncertainty of your opponent having to roll for it I found really freaks people out and they're like oh man should I call this heroic combat because what if he copies it should I call a heroic strike what if he copies it I mean it's obviously not as good as automatically getting it with those other heroes, but there is a psychological element to it that I've found, like, really advantageous. And to me, he just does it all. So I'll I'll pause there and see kind of what you guys think, and then maybe we can get into ratings. But am I missing anything, or is he just the greatest dwarf in the game?
2: I, Andrew, I feel like you just took us to church. I don't know how we could follow up with that sermon because you literally. <laughs> just covered everything about the profile like should we just go on (laughs) yeah honestly i pretty much agree with everything you said like he definitely is one of the like top top profiles in the game i feel like he's just very well-rounded like you brought up you know him busting through and killing a lot of like troops he could basically go through any sort of troop with you know defense seven plus as well where a lot of heroes really struggle to do so but uh, with the master of battle special rule and the heroic striking option and a fight six he's also a hero assassin so like i just feel like it's kind of a lose-lose situation because if you have you know higher fight against this guy dane doesn't have really an incentive to strike up because of his high defense and he could just take a hit because he's so tanky as well and if you lose the fight to him just like on the basis of losing a roll off or um, just flopping a roll, he's gonna do some damage, so he's fine there. But when you have lower fight, like I think it's he specializes against these mid-range heroes because uh, most of the time these mid-range heroes with heroic strike, you know, can think about challenging and burning off resources on a fight six hero or a fight seven hero. But with Dane, I think the issue is that now you're thinking, Oh, if he's going to just strike up for free using going off my might, I'm not even taking resources off this hero. So, So I think he's like a good troop killer, a good hero assassin. And then also one of my favorite things on a big, big hero is Heroic March. We've talked about on this podcast how important that is, and that just adds another element. So he's not just the beat stick. And this is especially important in like a low points kind of game, because sometimes you don't want to be wasting points on like taking a captain level hero. So for the good side, like that's why I value Boromir of Gondor, Dane and Théoden so much, because these heroes are like they're multifaceted. And so I, I think Dane is just a great, great all around hero. And I definitely agree. He's one of the top heroes in the game. Yeah, I just wanted to touch
1: on the uh, heroic march really quickly because if you guys remember, I actually brought that up when I was on last time because we play much lower points than you guys do. So our meta is is kind of tops out at 700 points. I don't think we've ever done an event above 700. We're talking about it, but that's kind of our niche. It's like we do these smaller events. I'd say 550 to 650 is kind of our sweet spot. And you know, to have a hero that has all of those heroic actions, right? Like you've got a striking hero and a marching hero it just allows you to be more aggressive with your other picks and you know you have a slow moving dwarf army right so you definitely want the march but the fact that you don't necessarily have to take another captain like you said is is so huge at lower points you know i think at 800 to a thousand which i think is kind of what you guys are more used to in your meta I think that value starts to drop off a little bit because you have all these other options and you can fit in everything that you want and, and get, you know, the six night marching hero and, and all of that. But at low points, right, where you have to make a lot of sacrifices. Like a lot of the lists that you guys build, you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, we made a 550 point list this week, so we didn't get the march in there. Or, oh, I only got one striking hero. And I know, you know, Ian and Alexander are the ones who are like the balanced list builders. And I would definitely throw myself in that category. I, I have to push myself to play skew lists to kind of get outside my comfort zone. But I'm the guy who wants an average to slightly above average amount of models and access to everything that I need. So having all of that at 650 points in this one hero makes, on the good side, Dane and on the evil side, heroes like Gothmog and Suladan, just like so unbelievably valuable to me because they have Strike and March.
0: Andrew, you sounded a little worried to me when you were just starting out, you know, you were kind of explaining how you uh, rate heroes. I don't think you need to really be worried in this case because I think we all uh, think this profile is just fantastic. Great offense, great defense. What you said earlier about the Master of Battle, you're right. I, I think there's very few heroes in the game that have the roll-off, like the where you have to roll it. I think just Rutabi and the ones you listed, right, Iron Hill's captain. I don't think there are very many others. And I had never really thought about the psychological factor of that, but um, I think that's really important to keep in mind because back then when this hero first came out, he was the first Mounted Dwarf hero and the first good model with Master of Battle. So there was a lot of excitement around this profile when it first came out because he just seemed like so good in every way. And I think even, you know, so many years later, he's still up there. He's one of those heroes that's so hard to kill that sometimes when I play, uh, come up against a list with this Dane, I'll just decide to forfeit the VPs for wounding and killing a leader and go for the other objectives because I just feel like I would most likely spend too much of my resources or I would it would cost me too many models to wound or kill Dane. So instead, I'll just spend warriors trying to pin him down and neutralize him rather than trying to go for the kill because he's just so tough. To me, he's up there with like Glorfindel as one of the toughest leaders to take down.
2: Especially when he first came out, but I think even afterwards... I've heard a lot of newer players their sentiment is that he's overpowered and he's too good and i can see where they're coming from so personally i disagree because i feel like you have to look at the context and like the restrictions of the list and all that but i think where i agree is stat for stat stat versus points like he is definitely under for what he brings and i i get the frustration because if you don't do these tactics that charles is talking about where you like sandbag him and do these things that are i guess maybe less intuitive to a less experienced player where they're just like i want to kill everything my opponent has then you might struggle and have a tougher time and in those situations like you know in a straight up brawl he's just gonna wreck you and even if you take him down he's gonna get his points worth so um yeah I, i just hear that sentiment a lot that you know, you have a poll of what's the most overpowered hero or overpowered list that people are be like dating in the Iron Hills.
0: I remember when the profile first came out, you know, (laughs) went to the first Nova in 2017. I was like, wow, like every other table, there was an Iron Hills player. (laughs) It seemed like, you know, he's so popular. And going back on what we discussed uh, previously uh, in terms of weaknesses, yes, I do agree that being forced to charge into combat isn't really a weakness. Because you can charge anyone you like, and he's, he's tough to take down. Unlike dread, for example, where he's also forced to charge. But he's a lot more fragile. So I think to Dane, it's, not, it's usually not going to be his downfall. I think his biggest weakness is that he only has three might. And especially if you're playing pure iron hills, your might is pretty low. And if you spend his might too early or on the wrong things, you might not have them for the heroic actions that you need later on in the game. And that might cost you the game. But yeah, I, I think he has very few weaknesses, and more likely than not, you're going to get your points worth when you put Dane in your list. So I'll kick off with the ratings. He's a nine out of ten for me.
2: Can I yeah. just add? <laughs> sorry, Andrew. Can I just add one more point about the fiery temper? I know it's probably not the biggest rule that you have to charge an enemy, but I think I've had sticky situations where at the end of the game, where everyone is bad dashed for objectives. Iron Hills is already very limited in mobility. And personally, I think goat riders are overcosted, so I don't like bringing too many. So, having, you know, let's say a, like a breakthrough or a capture or control, that last turn, if there's any sort of models around Dane, which is very likely you're unable to use him as like a mad dash or heroic combat off a enemy model into an objective that we see um, with other heroes but yeah i agree with you charles overall you know i i'm going to give him a 10 out of 10.
1: yeah so i I just wanted to before i give my rating which i think everybody has probably figured out by now i want to just kind of echo what charles just said which is that is his weakness is just like a i mean this isn't a great example but just like a a sauron like any really big powerful hero that's kind of unstoppable like okay if you throw one model at him like let's say your opponent you're playing dane and your opponent wins priority you know a bunch of turns in a row you know you don't really want to be calling heroic moves with dane because one you're not able to use your master of battle and two those aren't really kind of the heroic actions that you want to be calling with him so if you can make him spend might to position the army like, you know, you're up against a, an army with a monster like a, a Goblin King or something like that. and You know, he's going to hurl down, you know, your line of Iron Hills dwarves like burning through that might means he's only reliant on his dice and he only has three. And if he doesn't roll kind of a five or a six in combats, and if he can't strike anymore, depleting his resources just for those kind of listening, I think is the best way to play against him. If you're in the thick of things and he's getting free heroic combats and like it can get bad really quickly. So that's kind of how I would suggest you play against him. And I'm going to talk about kind of list building with him in a little bit and how I try to mitigate that weakness. But my rating for Dane is definitely a 10. There's probably, like I said, five, you know, three to five heroes in the game that I would rate a 10. And I actually think there are heroes that are better than him. So they would be a 10, but maybe slightly higher on my list than Dane but I just think he does everything. And like I said, the mitigation of risk and mitigation of variance that he gives you by, you know, all of the things that we just talked about are so
3: valuable to me. I was thinking about this profile a little bit on uh, on my drive home today. And yeah, I think for like the young Dane who can go on the board, I think he's like a solid like nine and a half, ten. 10.
0: Like he kind of hits all the
3: criteria that I usually
2: put out when we're I talking mean, about this. I mean, I wouldn't say he's young. Like middle age, maybe <laughs> younger, not, <laughs> yeah. not venerable. That one
3: <laughs> able to jump still, Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, I'd probably give him like a nine and a half, ten, which sadly, old dame. Well, well, we'll get to that.
0: Okay, let's move on to some army lists. So we'll cover the two Lord of the Iron Hills lists first. Why don't we start with our uh, appear list from Richard first and then uh, we'll go through an alliance list by Andrew.
2: Okay, sure. So I'm taking the Iron Hills at 700 points. In my first warband, I have Dane on the pig, of course, leading seven Iron Hills with shield, six with spear and shield, one with banner, spear, shield and one goat rider. And then in my second warband, I have Murray and Gerrard leading six Iron Hill Warriors, three with shield and three with spear and shield. In my last warband, I have the Iron Hills Ballista. And I guess, you know, a lot of people stop taking the Iron Hill Ballista after the FAQ nerf, increasing the points from 90 to 125. But I still think if you're going to go pure Iron Hills, i still like the iron hills ballista just because it gives you a different utility to the list i find that if you take crossbows with the slow moving dwarves i feel like you can still be taken advantage of like if you're outshot you're going to have a rough time running at your opponents and if they have regular bows or like uh, cavalry archers you're just going to be outmaneuvered and shot at. So personally, I feel like the crossbows, you can't reliably depend on them to win the shooting war unless you're versing like a Mordor or like a Moria or something. So I think Iron Hills Ballista gives you you know, that guarantee. And the thing is that it can pretty much do that to all shooting lists. And the reason why you also want to do that is you want to force the opponent to get into combat as quickly as possible. And this is what Iron Hills is good at. You know fighting and grinding i took Murray and drar instead of the captain in this case like kind of like we discussed we don't need the march and i feel like like for 140 points you're getting six might two heroes that can fight at a decent level so they're not maybe the the meta competitive pick but i've always liked their value if you're valuing them at 70 points a model you know one has heroic strike and one has expert shot so Yeah. Otherwise, it's just a very, very tough list. And I think any sort of like fighting scenario, you know, I'd be looking forward to that.
0: I agree with you on your composition and why you didn't take crossbows. I actually think crossbows don't synergize with the ballista at all, because when the ballista blocks your enemy shooting, it also blocks your own. And since it shoots first, in order to have both in the list, you have to deploy your crossbows in like far away from where your ballista is going to shoot. And it just it messes you up a lot of the time, especially if you don't know exactly where you're going to deploy. I definitely don't think they're a good mix. So I like the idea. I mean, a ballista, unless your ballista is neutralized right at the beginning of the game, you're forcing your enemy to come to you every time. Almost no exceptions, unless for some reason, like you're deployed separately. That maybe people will not have to come to you. They can try to go for the ballista instead of coming to your army. But it's a solid strategy. I haven't used Murn and Jar in this new edition, so I can't comment on that. But I think it's, a, it's an interesting pick because generally the Iron Hills is low on Might, and Might is not a problem in this case. You still have the March. It's just Undane, right? If you really have to use it, you still have it there. But giving up the crossbows also gives you an advantage, and that means you have the bigger shield wall. You have more defense seven, you have more defense eight potential, and that's going to be a nightmare for uh, strength three armies. It'll just take them forever to break you. So a lot of the times they'll probably what they'll probably do is end up going for your heroes, and as we discussed with Dane's profile, like you, you're going to welcome that. So very very good list for me. I think it's the numbers are kind of low for 700 points, but they're all like minimum defense seven, maybe draws below seven, but you
2: is defense seven and marine is defense eight
0: (laughs) there you go they're all minimum defense seven so there's no weakness uh, so to speak so yeah really great list yeah i
1: think um i I echo a lot of what charles just said i'm a little worried about the 27 models but i think when you build this list at this points level that's kind of what you get when you want to include the ballista i think one kind of nerf to the ballista that people don't talk about enough not just the points is you used to be able to target spear supports right and and then kind of have it redirect into combat and you would knock down all the iron hills doors everybody in the combat would take a, a hit the iron hills doors would shrug it off because they get wounded on a six plus and you would wind up kind of killing a couple models if it was a large combat against one guy so you know you can't do that anymore the, the points are higher i think i've played this list before i've played with myrn and drar before and I think they're solid I don't think they're like kind of a top tier choice or anything like that the second strike is really great and on Marin if you get his sword to go off where you're playing against those evil models uh orcs goblins or urkai and he gets plus one to wound it's pretty great the issues that I have found with them is there are only two attacks and there are two wounds one fate so I know they're only 70 points but I have had times where I have you know draw or die with kind of two points of might left that I don't get to use so I just think they're okay choices I think if you run a pure Iron Hills list I think this is probably the best that you can do at 700 points I don't think this is kind of an optimal points level to play this army but I think having played this the challenges that I've had with it are any scenarios where you have to kind of like spread out if your ballista is not hitting right because like you read Oh, it hits on a four plus and it's accurate. So it rerolls ones. But if you do the math, that just takes it from 50% accurate to like, I think it's like 56%. Like it's not, it's not a big improvement in your ability to kind of hit on that first shot. So if you roll that two or you roll that three, you know, for a couple of turns, that might be all you get. If you're facing an army that doesn't have kind of a lot of spear supports and, you know, will depend on, I guess, the terrain and lots of other things. But if this army works, it's almost unbeatable. Like if you come up against the right matchup, if you're able to block line of sight from the ballista shooting this is like actually a depressing army to fight against i don't know if you guys have ever played with or against this but if this army's clicking you just feel like there's nothing you can do and and depending on the army that's you know on the other side of you it, it can just be a, a matchup nightmare for them but i have had times with um which is the one where you have to flip them back and forth is that capturing control where you where you stand on the objective and then it flips to your side and then someone else yeah. has to stand on it yeah so like you know obviously not every army is going to have great matchups in every scenario but that one's like a nightmare for this list right you've got one goat rider you've got uh dane on the board and you really first of all don't want to be sending into these objectives and to your own point earlier richard oftentimes can't send them to the objectives because you have to charge other models so you know scenarios like that where there's a lot of spread out you know groups is pretty tough and even a scenario like a divide and conquer right like those dwarves are all walking five inches. And do you really want Dane to march twice to get to the center of the board? And I um, only have one might left on him. So I think there's a decent amount of scenarios where this list would really struggle. But there's also probably equally as many scenarios that would be almost an automatic victory. So I'm kind of lukewarm on this. I think I'm a little bit more negative on it than Charles is just having played it and having seen it be really kind of swingy. So interested to hear kind of your thoughts on that criticism.
0: Well, I actually think even if the ballista doesn't hit at all, it forces your enemy to play differently, right? Because in order to surround and trap Richard's blank and army, they would have to form their own battle line and wrap around. And I think the fear of a ballista taking out three or four models a turn, a lot of people would probably move in a different, like, they'll probably spread out. And for scenarios where you're holding an objective and you are spread out. Wouldn't that just take away the scatter roll and make it easier for Richard to, let's say, like, snipe a model on an objective?
2: Yeah, so that's what I think I wanted to, I guess, rebut here is I do think, of course, you know, as all dwarf armies are, every time you have to, like, spread out or, like, forced to be mobile, I think that is your weakness. So, yeah, no arguments there. But I think what the Iron Hills Ballista does is it allows you to be more mobile because you essentially have infinite range and you have really good line of sight. So, you know, divide and conquer, you're not moving at great speeds, but the opponent, if they're not like an all cav army or something, they're getting shot turn after turn by the ballista. You know, certain objective scenarios like fog of war, where there's like a lot of distance, storm the camp, you know, even recon, like that is kind of scary to run across the map and you can't camp on an objective, like you can't have like one Bowman stand on like an objective in the back because that's dangerous. And you can't even put like two or three guys, like you kind of put the opponent in kind of a dilemma there. So I think in those scenarios, it's better than it seems on paper. I'll agree with you. There are some terrible, terrible scenarios like capture and control because, you know, just being so close already and everyone is like ready to fight very closely that kind of nullifies the iron hills ballista as well i would argue like contest of champions as well like even with like such a brawly list like you know you never want to start on the back foot losing 125 points you know like even if you're the best fighting army you still want to be able to shoot for a couple turns so i think there's a few that i would be really scared of but i still think the ballista helps you in you know some of the mobility scenarios Yeah, those are all really good counterpoints. I I definitely agree with everything you just said. I
1: think, um, yeah, it's pretty swingy. You guys talk a lot about on the show about, you know, kind of predetermined scenarios in tournaments or like random role scenarios in tournaments. I think my rating for this army would be different if you knew what the scenarios were ahead of time. This is not a list that I would really feel comfortable with going in blind. Because you risk, you know, just, hey, I, I just took myself out of the tournament on the first round because I got, you know, capture and control. So, yeah, re- really good points. I think I think you've changed my mind a little bit on some of them, which is awesome. And uh, I, I think knowing the scenarios with an army like this is is super crucial.
0: Okay, Andrew, let's go over your alliance. Oh, we got to
1: rate it, right? Isn't, isn't that the gimmick? We got to give them a rating?
0: The last few episodes, we've been doing a ranking. Oh, okay. Yeah ranking of of, of uh, lists from best to worst
1: <laughs> okay perfect all right well i'm glad i got on um, the bard episode i got a hero of legend before that was retired so yeah i'll, I'll go into i'll go into my list so i've got a green alliance which uh, i was talking a lot about earlier when i was reviewing the profile i didn't want to just copy paste my list that i brought with bard because that list also had dane in it that was the one i used to to win a local tournament in our uh, game store mythicos in new jersey so I mixed it up a little bit. There's another list that I've run that I really love. And I want everybody to remember as you're listening to this, this is 650 points. And that's why I think this list is pretty strong. So I've got actually a fairly small contingent of dwarves. I've got uh, Dane on the pig. He's got seven Iron Hills dwarves with shield and spear. And he's got one Iron Hills dwarf with shield, spear, and banner. So that's uh, you know nine dwarves. And then I have an alliance with survivors of Lake Town. So I have gandalf the gray on horse he's got three militia with shield five with spear five with bow and one with no additional equipment just to make the points work and then i've got a lake town militia captain with uh three militia with shield four militia with spear four militia with bow so at 650 points that's 36 models and i have nine bows and i've got let's see here Eight points of might plus, you know, any master of battle that you might get. So I'm a huge fan of allying in Gandalf the Grey to this kind of alliance matrix. I don't think he's terribly strong on his own, but I think he's an awesome second hero to have in your army um, because he does kind of just what you want. If it's a slower game or if you've got some big heroes or an all cavalry army on the other side of the board, you can just kind of take it slow and shoot your opponent, put blinding light up if you need to sorceress blast and take some guys off their horses and just kind of make it easier for Dane to go in and do the killing and we see the witch king on horse or on Fell beast a lot at 650 points and you know that's another thing that we didn't mention for Dane, but you know any hero that just has three will with no real way to kind of get it back or resist magic is eventually just gonna you know succumb to the transfix every turn so the fact that Gandalf can either strengthen will protection of the Valar, you know, these are kind of very corner case spells, but he does have kind of something in his bag of tricks for every occasion. And then you also have the Lake Town militia captain. I didn't give him the shield because he's just there to kind of have two points for heroic march, make the list a little bit more mobile, because I really want Dane to be kind of a heavy hitter in this one. And, you know, nine bows at 650 is pretty solid. So this is kind of a standard type list that I like to run. It's It's very well balanced. One of the big negatives that i talked about with lake town is the low courage so having fearless dwarves in there and then the ability to throw kind of lake town spearmen behind just gives you a little bit more certainty that you'll be able to get into those combats that you need and you've just got this toolbox hero in gandalf that is just such a great you know supporting piece to like a thranduil or a dane or even a bard in in his own list and he brings you know 14 of his best militia buddies with him so i think at 650 36 models is pretty you know it's certainly not a horde army but 36 models with a hero like dane and a hero like gandalf you know 160 points and 180 points is very strong and you know that's obviously one of the strengths of lake town So the strategy here, like I said, is to kind of play all of the scenarios at maybe like being slightly favored. I think this is a list that I would slightly favor in every scenario. There's no scenario that jumps off the board where you're like, okay, this is an instantaneous win. Maybe a contest of champions would actually be really good for this list because you can try to immobilize on the first turn and maybe one shot, you know, with Dane on the charge if you can get in there if the opponent's not blocked. But yeah, this is definitely an all-around list that I would feel good about in any scenario. I've probably got more bodies than my opponent. And if my opponent has gone all in on one hero, especially if they're not a caster, or even if it's a ring wraith, right, I can just pressure that will on a ring wraith with Gandalf, or I can shut down their big hero with immobilizes, and then Dane is just kind of free to do whatever he wants. So that's kind of the strategy here. Would love to hear what you guys
0: think. I think it's pretty incredible that you have two big heroes in a 650 point list and still have like slightly above average numbers. That's probably due to the Lake Town militia being so cheap. But I think that uh, Gandalf the Grey is like the perfect support hero and in this case. He gives all the buffs and he just happens to be able to lead as well. So he kind of fits in there perfectly. I think that you having actual experience with this list and having success with it is a sign that it's a great list. But I think one thing I worry about is, and I'm sure you've thought of it probably, is that more than half your numbers are the militia. And they are kind of low defense, and if they're somehow peeled off and taken out, your opponent can just focus on them. And breaking is something that you probably have to think about. Though you do have the blinding light, so I'm talking mostly about being taken out in combat.
2: They're fight two as well.
0: Right, but they don't have Bard's bonus. So if they're peeled off, let's say like your spear supports are tagged and um, they have to fight on their own without the Iron Hills, then you would essentially be left with like a fight two battle line. And Iron Hills, you have seven, eight with Spear. So some of them won't be getting the fight four, right? Because um, you have the rest of their army is the Militia. So I think that's the only issue you would probably, I, I would say, is a weakness. Otherwise, I, I love your hero picks.
2: What's the ruling on Alfred? Uh, I, I believe there was a change to that.
0: You have to have a yeah, Master so- or Bard, I think. That's right. Uh,
2: oh, that's I thought it was like, have to have a hero of Valor or something, but that's, that's pretty lame. I guess, uh, (laughs) yeah, then no critiques there. (laughs) You're just following the rules. But um, I think, no, it looks like a solid list. I haven't really seen this alliance as often here. A lot of the times, I guess, what's more common is usually um, Lake Town with Halls of Thranduil. Because I guess my concern would be, you're saying that you would like to back up the dwarves with the militia to get the fight four bonus which i think works really well but um at the same time you're also giving up the defense eight possibility a lot of the time so so not only is it that what charles mentioned that you have a big chunk of like lower defense lower fight value models you're kind of in a sense weakening your door line as well you know with strength three armies they're wounding you on sixes but otherwise i think it is very interesting at 650 points like I guess here locally, I still see that as a lower points value. And like you said, those are two monster heroes. You have Dane, a hero you don't want to be fighting. And then, you know, Gandalf the Grey is probably one of the best support heroes in the game. So, yeah, I like it. I will say one more thing, though. I know it kind of messes up with your break count, so I'm struggling with this. But I don't know if you dropped the naked Militia for the shield. Just because when I played the Lake Town Militia Captain, A lot of times, like when I'm thrown in against sometimes even a warrior model or a captain model that I'm just outclassed, like fighting an elf or something, you know, throwing the four dice just to keep the captain alive or keep like a bigger hero busy is I've just done that a lot more than I thought I would. But yeah, great list.
1: Yeah, so that, that's all totally valid, and and I've I've waffled between this list and dropping one Iron Hills dwarf to give the guy the shield and take an extra model to to keep the breakpoint the same. Uh, so those are kind of the two ones that I go back and forth on. I totally agree with all the points that you guys raised, and I've had to play this alliance. You know, I I gave this alliance some love on my last <laughs> on my last visit on the show with you guys. I do think it's a little bit underrated for the reasons that you guys are mentioning. And I think because I've played it so much, like you need two really scary things or two very disruptive models for this alliance to work, right? So last time I had Bard and Dane, And this time i've got gandalf and dane right like i'm not going to let an opponent dictate the fights like there's going to be few opponents that can deal with both you know the behemoth hero after being whittled down by nine bows you know behind blinding light and their heroes will probably not have horses because of sorcerer's blast like this list does a really good job of like kind of throwing you off balance a little bit so what i found is most of the time i get to line up the way that i want i get to pick the fights that i want and if things aren't really working out i know i only have six of the lake town guys with shield but i'll just have them as kind of defensive shielders if i'm not in you know fights that i'm happy with and i'll try and reposition next turn to get back in there but i think at 650 right like most armies are going to be two war bands some of them will be three war bands so you're going to have like your big hero that's a threat at 650 and you're going to have your support hero right like a a witch king and a Geritz or or something like that like th- that's very common in our play group so I'm gonna stop my opponent's bigger threat from doing whatever it is they're trying to do and then I've just got Dane running loose so I think what I've found that I think you guys maybe aren't valuing enough here is like my opponent's not going to be able to play the list that they brought the way that they want they're going to be whittled down a little bit by shooting and then they're going to have kind of all of these problems to deal with that you know at 800 points i totally agree with you guys like people will have ways to deal with it but at 650 such a low amount i think this is a lot more disruptive than than maybe it seems
3: honestly yeah i agree with the, what the guy said like i don't have too much to add i think it is like really like good list and well balanced but the only thing i'm thinking of now that i'm like looking at the late time militia captain i don't know if i love that pick because dane has march anyway and like because you have the blinding light you're probably not going to need to march that much like you don't need to worry about like you're going to pull people to you like you said for shooting you don't need to get into their face that much and if you do need to do that you have the dane for the march so i would actually be tempted to take like hilda or percy instead and i think i like percy more because then you just get an extra point of might and then obviously hero with the bow is nice I mean, it's it's not a big change. You go down to 34 models, but then I think the extra point of might is nice to have because your other two main hitters, like the other two big heroes, want to save their might for important stuff. That, that's the only real critique. Honestly, it's, it's quite solid. 650 is like a weird points limit where all of these, you can get some really good combinations that you wouldn't expect and it still feels like you're playing low points. So, yeah, this is cool.
0: Next, we're going to be going over uh, Dane Ironfoot, King Under the Mountain. Ian, do you mind going over the profile? So, yes. uh, Dane, Ironfoot, King Under the Mountains. He is a hero of legend. He has the dwarf, Erebor, Infantry,
3: and Hero keywords. He's 130 points. Move 5, fight 6, 4 plus shoot. Strength 4, D8, 3 attacks, 3 wounds, Courage 7, 3 might, 3 will, 1 fate. And he has heavy armor and Berenza Tathul. Yeah, that's a Master Forge Hand and a Half Axe. He has Heroic Resolve, Heroic Strike, Heroic Strength, and Heroic Challenge. And his special rules are Fearless, so that Courage 7 is kind of negated. But whatever, I mean, it's the same thing as his young profile. Venerable, basically whenever Dane takes a jump, leap, or Climb test, he has to roll two dice and pick the lowest result because he's old. And King Under the Mountain is his last rule, which all friendly airborne dwarf models, including hero models, will benefit from Dane's standfast regardless of range. So he's got board-wide standfast. Initial thoughts on this.
1: All right. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying not to laugh hysterically over here, not at the profile, but just at the thought of him just repeatedly falling down. Right. Like, like, <laughs> Oh, let me leap up. all oh, crap. Like there goes Dane again, stumbling on the leap test. And and then when the army breaks, everyone's like, Oh, don't worry. Like we, we still believe in you. We're going to stick around and, and fight and watch you stumble some more. I just got to kick out of that. So those are my opening thoughts. <laughs>
0: I think they kept this rule because there was there used to be an old Dane profile that had this rule and this is kind of paying homage to it. I think that's the reason why they have this rule. It was also called Venerable so I think that's where it came from. I think, you know, it's it's pretty obvious that this is like a toned down version of the younger Dane, you know, he's he's not as uh, good in combat, he's he's lost the option to be mounted, um he has less heroic actions and he's slightly easier to take down as well. So, I think his role in this profile is more of a support hero. Ian didn't go over the army bonus, but he is in the airborne Reclaim list. And in that army list, I think models change from an Iron Hills keyword to an airborne keyword. So effectively, um, he has the same rule as Thorin does in Erebor Reclaim. So effectively, he's a six-inch banner effect. Wait, and wait, wait. Is that not only in the Legendary Legion? It's the army bonus, I think.
1: Yeah, it's actually not in the Legendary Legion. It's only if you take a pure list, I think.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's oh, only in the pure okay. list, but also if you take a pure list in this, Iron Hills Warriors get the Erebor keyword. So then the Warriors actually get the banner effect. Whereas in, if you have Thorin in there, it's only the members of the company that get that.
0: Yeah. So if you go to the page with the Thorin 3 profile, it says in the corner that um, Iron models with Iron Hills keyword change to Erebor. But like the guy said, it doesn't look like you get it in the Legion. Just in the context of a pure list, he becomes like a support hero, similar to Thor and Army of Thor, I think, where you know he's he's a decent fighter, but you're you're taking him to be um, the leader that's kind of in the back and providing that reroll for your army.
1: Does anybody know how many points uh, Thor is? Just before I give my analysis on this guy, he's around the same, right? one twenty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one twenty. Okay. Yeah. So. I'll start off with a sarcastic comment because I'm I'm from the United States from New Jersey. Uh I think the best part of this profile is the 4 plus shoot value. Um <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, you know, I have such a hard time with these expensive dwarf heroes on foot. Like I just think it's easy to get caught up in the stats like the stats aren't bad, right? I mean fight 6 is solid. Of course you're going to compare this guy to the profile we've just been talking about because it's the same character. But in a vacuum, you look at some of these stats, you're like, okay, strength four with plus one to wound, D8, three attacks, three might, like there's a lot to like here, right? He doesn't have heroic march. So, you know, that probably happened when he started stumbling all over the place. But there's there's such a problem that I have with spending this many points on a hero that you have no control or extremely limited control over how it gets utilized. Like these five inch moving heroes You know if you're playing against an army that moves six or even worse a cav army right like he's being engaged when the opponent decides right so that's kind of okay if you have a hero that brings a lot of other stuff to the table right like a a king's champion for example brings two banners with him right so even if he for whatever reason isn't able to get into combat he's adding a ton of value and i just think the fact that he doesn't benefit any of the other dwarves other than the army bonus right You know, he's got a negative special rule, which is thematic, and I get it. And, you know, I think the stand fast is okay, but you don't really want to be getting to that point. So I I think this, this profile is pretty disappointing. I like the plus one to wound. But I have a hard time, you know, figuring out how you're really going to use this guy in practice like look, not just looking at the profile, but in a game, how much value are you getting out of this guy? I think it's he falls into the category for me as like a Durin or, you know, maybe even a Balin. I know Balin's a little cheaper, but like just really good heroes. You look at their profiles and you're like, man, I'm excited to play with this. And if your opponent just outmaneuvers you, you, they just don't do anything. And without having any, you know, additional buffs for the rest of the army, I think this guy's pretty disappointing. I think most people would probably agree with that. And most people were hoping that, okay, but the legendary legion that he gets is going to give him something really cool that's going to put him over the top. And you know, unfortunately, I don't think that really happened. And I think the best thing he has going for him, which is the six inch, you know, banner effect, uh, if you take a pure list. Was taken out of the legion so i think they got this one pretty wrong unfortunately and it's it's kind of disappointing because i think the model is one of the nicest in the range and i know a lot of people including myself were excited about it maybe i'm being a little too hard on him but I, I just think they they really missed the mark on this one
3: i feel like it depends on which hero you compare him to like which other dwarf hero and then you can you kind of like can justify his points cost a bit more like i don't know compared to like durin He's 30 points cheaper, and you're like, okay, yeah, he's missing special rules, but other than that, it's it's pretty similar. It's not bad. I'm okay with that points value. But then you compare him to heroes like Thorin Oakenshield from from Thorin's company, or like or Dwalin like champion version, or any actually any version of Thorin, and you're like, oh, this guy's like super overpriced, and it's it's really weird. Yeah, I, I think I tend to agree with what you said. He should probably be like 115, 120 points. But that's 130, say it's a tax for your army bonus, because the army bonus is really good. i played army of Thror, like, with Thror a Bot, and having that six-inch banner on, like, a, a heavy dwarf hero like that is great. So, it's alright. I think, yeah, if you are going to run him, you're going to run him in a pure list. Maybe in the Legion, but I don't think he's, like, high on your, like, list of picks in the Legion. I think he's kind of lower. You, like, you're probably going to pick him third or fourth. So, only at, like, 800-ish points. But... You know, I don't know. He's all right. I think I'd probably, overall, I'd rate him, you know, comparable to the way I rated Durin, which I think was a six. So maybe I'd give this guy like a five and a half, like half a point lower from Duran. I think, for me.
2: I think it's very telling. I think you try to make him out as average, but, you know, we crap all over Durin, and he's the only comparison. <laughs> if you compare him to Thor and Duran. I feel like he's worse and 10 more points so i don't think even going down to 120 justifies him like and then you look at the like you said the champion the good champions of Erebor, like dwelling and uh, thorin both at 115 like so i'm thinking this guy should be like closer to 100 like maybe a little bit higher than that yeah and i think the most disappointing thing is that i just don't think he's that exciting like you know I think, like, Thor, at least, you're like, okay, I'm just going to take this, like, basically the tankiest infantry model in the game. Like, nothing's going to get through. So, that's kind of cool, and you're kind of leading into something. But I feel like Dane is, I don't know. Maybe I haven't played him yet, but like I just feel like he's a profile that I might need to like look over a couple more times. I'm just going to forget what he does. It just doesn't really do anything cool, I think. So I I think that's also part of um, the disappointment when I look at this profile.
1: Do you guys think at one hundred thirty points because I was thinking about like, okay, what would you do to make him better? Because I'm trying to think of like what might stick around from the last profile. What do you guys think at 130 if he gave all the same rule as younger Dane, where he gave friendly Erebor models, within 12 inches fearless? Like, I feel like that at 130 seems worth it to me. And now he's a six inch banner and he's fearless and he's kind of the only one who does that. And he's older, so he's more of a tactician and he's like inspiring the troops rather than fighting. I, I think that would have been kind of the perfect way to tackle it.
2: I agree I I feel like they should have done that like even if it means like going down to like two attack two wounds or something like that just make him different and more like maybe like have these different auras like for goodness sakes like give what you gave the dragon emperor you know maybe give him like a plus one fight value like six inch bubble or something you know like it could be kind of crazy but um I agree with you I think maybe not make him like a half fighting hero and half like aura hero, and maybe just lean into like a full like aura passive
0: hero. Yeah, I don't think I disagree with anything you guys have said. He just feels so similar to Thor, but Thor is better because he's cheaper and he's harder to kill than this Dane. Honestly, I don't think 5.5 is too harsh. I just, I don't really give half points. I probably give him a five and in the Legion, probably less than a five just because you don't have that banner effect. So you're paying 130 points for just a fighter. I mean, that's pretty overcosted, and we'll see that in my army list that I brought today in a bit. So I feel like because they didn't put the army bonus in the Legion, I feel like this is kind of two separate profiles, since they're kind of encouraging people to play the Legion. Um, So I would probably give him the five in a list with the army bonus. And then in the Legion or in a list where you don't have the army bonus, I'd probably give him like a four. Yeah, that's
1: exactly where I shake out. Um, I I was going to say the exact same ratings.
0: So I pulled up Thrain's
3: profile again just now and took a quick peek at it. And yeah, Richard, I I think you're right. Yeah, 110 points is probably a good spot for him. Yeah, the way he is now. Also unrelated, but I was also looking at their matrix. And now you can get Iron Hills yellow alliance with Minas Tirith, so you can make some weird shield wall shenanigans, isn't that? I don't know if anybody's mentioned that, sorry. <laughs> I got oh, excited. Oh, that's really cool, I didn't know that. As long as you have one of these two guys, which, I mean, let's face it, it's probably going to be on
2: 3. Wait, so you're saying shield wall, you could mix and match, right? It's not, uh, okay, so you can yeah. bring two Minas Tirith for every Iron Hills. I like yeah. it.
3: Yeah. Let the shenanigans ensue. <laughs>
2: I guess for my rating, maybe it seems a bit more harsh. I think I'll give it a four just because like, I don't think he's that terrible in a vacuum, but also I'm also comparing to his peers and like the list, like we just said, the three, four dwarf heroes that we have readily available in either this list or like the Green Alliance version of this list that we've had for ages. He doesn't go past any of them, so I feel like the Dwarf meta, at least for the Hobbit Dwarfs, hasn't changed at all with this release, so I can't give him more than average.
3: Slight correction. When he's in the Legion, his banner gets downrated to a 3-inch banner, but he still has a banner effect.
0: Yeah, yeah, I did see that. Oh, did you? Oh, sorry, I missed that. But multiple heroes in that Legion give that buff, so you don't have to pay 130 points for that. Yeah.
3: No, I think if you are going to take him in the Legion, you like, well, yeah, it's either going to be at really high points, or if you really want to take him, you take him at lower points in a pure list, maybe allied with some Dale stuff, because at least that way he's a six inch banner. I, I, either way, it's not great.
0: Yeah. Okay. So we have two lists with this profile today, and one will be from Ian and one will be from me. So I can start. I'll start with a list that I brought today, which is a 800 points list Defenders of Erebor. So the Legendary Legion that we mentioned uh, previously between Erebor Reclaimed and Dale. So the leader of this list is Dane Ironfoot, King Under the Mountain. In his warband are seven Iron Hills Dwarves with Spear and Shield, three Iron Hills Dwarves with Crossbow, one Iron Hills Dwarf with Banner and Shield, and one Goat Rider. In the second warband, we have an Iron Hills Captain on Goat, four Iron Hills Warriors with Spear and Shield, four Iron Hills Dwarves with Crossbow, and one Goat Rider. And the last warband is Brand, King of Dale, leading six Knights of Dale, six Warriors of Dale with Spear and Shield, four Warriors of Dale with Bow and Spear, and two Warriors of Dale with Bow. So that's a total of 42 models at 800 points and eight Might points. So this list, basically, for those who are unfamiliar with the Legendary Legion, There is a special rule in there where if you take Dane with Brand, they have a synergy. So since this episode is about King Under the Mountain, I I am giving you an example of how this list would be if you took Dane. So naturally, I would want to take Brand because there is a rule called a bond forged in war, where if either Dane or Brand are trapped at the start of fight phase, then the other one can call a hero combat for free to try to join his combat. And if he cannot join the trap models combat, then he'll move as close as possible. So it's similar to Wine's rule, where he can call a hero combat, and then he has to move as close as possible to join the combat of the model he's protecting. So there is that synergy, and that's why my choices were Brand and Dane Ironfoot as my main heroes to take advantage of that. It sounds pretty like a niche situation. I feel like the ways you would try to get the traps would be you would put models behind Dane, for example and choose not to make way in order for Dane to be trapped but i don't like the idea of that plan because if you lose the combat you're kind of setting up trouble for yourself because you're giving your opponent three strikes against you when you could have made way so i don't know if I, i like the idea of that but um either way it is a synergy and uh the other bonus that's worth mentioning in this legion is royal bloodlines So Dane and Brand are considered as a three-inch banner effect in this list. So I have a one banner and two banner effects. One of the things I like about this list is that I have three models giving a banner effect. And across 42 models, I think that's a pretty solid amount of them will have a three-inch banner effect. Regarding my third hero pick, an Iron Hills Captain on GOAT, The reason why I went with him over any other named hero is because I just wanted to have a mounted hero in this list. I don't have any other mounted heroes to choose from in this list. And I think it's good to have the utility to have a model that can knock down enemies, that can neutralize mounted heroes charging into me. And also just that master of battle role that we talked about earlier, that's so good in terms of making your opponents think differently when they call heroic actions. I went for maximum bows because i think that in this list i want to have my opponent coming to me and i think it's it's good since i have dale bows but they don't have the army bonus they don't have the three plus to hit so you could probably tell the way i'm talking that um there are some issues with this legion but i think my plan would just be to try to take advantage of the fact that there's a rule called long-standing alliance where dale and airborne models if they're within one inch of each other they can reroll ones I think that's kind of nice. And I kept my numbers of Dale and Airborne models kind of similar so that I have a similar amount of them and a lot of them can get that reroll ones. But yeah, that, that's about it in terms of strategy. I think I'm just going to have to rely on lots of rerolls for winning fights and hopefully lots of rerolling ones to wound.
3: So on the trapped special rule thing where they get the free roll combats, I think you want to do it the other way around. You want to trap brand he gets other bonuses when he's trapped right he he basically becomes a lord of the west when he's trapped so i think you want to get him trapped and then you get dangerous combat and dangerous combats are gonna be more likely anyway because he's got the plus one to wound so he hero combats and then peels a guy off but then then you fight the brand fight where he's still trapped so then he gets more dice and stuff and then i don't know you gotta play it very specifically but i think that's the ideal situation anyway in general for this legion i think i actually quite like it for a legion just because it doesn't feel super ridiculous, but also all the special rules are nice and themy it encourages you to do stuff. It doesn't feel like crazy broken, but it doesn't feel crazy weak. So I'm, I'm not too mad about the Legion, but I do agree with Charles. I do have some issues with it, but that's more with the points cost of some of the units. Mainly, the probably two dwarf heroes should be cheaper. Yeah. That being said, the way I lean when I initially think about this Legion, especially at high points, is that you want to lean into those four named heroes because they all give that banner effect and because they all have three attacks. So I think the way I would prefer to run this at 800 is just grab all four of the named heroes and then I think you could probably get about 30 troops. So you're sitting about 34 models, but then hopefully you have enough Iron Hills in there so your defense is high in the front rank and you got Dale supporting. So then you just have banners everywhere, and then you have the reroll ones everywhere, basically. And then your opponent just has to deal with four three attack heroes, which, you know, that's pretty hard to deal with.
1: Uh, I think going into this, right, just knowing that you were taking this Legion just in full transparency, and I think the other two guys would agree, like I was ready to hate it. Like I was ready to just be like, this list is is terrible. And there are problems with the Legendary Legion, 100%. Like you you can't get around it. But I'm actually pretty happy with this list at 800 points. I mean, look, that that is more points than I usually play. But I feel like this list has a lot going for it. I I played the captain on goat quite a bit. People always forget about the five plus master battle on the captain for some reason. Like nobody remembers that. So you can sometimes get away with, you know, it's only a third of the time, but a sneaky heroic combat or a heroic move, and just having the goats to to do the knockdown. I think is pretty good. And you have 42 models total, and the majority of them are Iron Hills troops. So you've got pretty tough troops. Everyone's fight for, you know, I think if you come up against a fight for or lower army, I think this actually has a really good chance to be successful. Um, And then if you come up against like elves or the new Easterlings, I think you have basically no real counterplay to that, unfortunately. But I do think I was expecting this list to look a lot worse, to be totally honest. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. And I think just looking at your list, my first takeaway was like, okay, you don't get the three plus shoot on Dale. That's the biggest benefit. But looking at your list and the amount of troops that you were able to get, looks like you only have a handful of Dale warriors with bow anyway. And, you know, it's not as good, but four plus to hit and and strength three bows is still something. And you do have some of those crossbows in there as well. So I think there is a cap on how competitive this legion can be. But I think that within that cap, I think you did a really great job building this list and it it looks a lot better and a lot scarier than i would have thought especially if you start stacking you know everybody has a banner for iron hills which usually doesn't happen because you only have one banner here you have three and you know everybody's getting reroll ones to wound like those are real significant benefits so i like this one a little more than i was expecting to
2: yeah i'm with andrew here i know we were kind of crapping on this legendary legion earlier but actually looks pretty good i think that special rule with the free might trap i think i think it's actually pretty decent because you only have eight might here but i think with the master of battle and that free hero you know getting free hero combats will generate you probably easily 10 plus effectively and i think that's pretty important especially early on in the game i think it'll definitely be worth trapping a uh, brand because you know dame can just focus on spending his might on winning combats because you don't want to be flopping those and i think you're good to go because usually if you're spending a point on hero combat you're getting down to two um you really can't afford to you know roll badly what i also like is having brand as maybe your leader you know dame sometimes you can i know he's tough but actually Maybe with the old this old version, it is okay to have him as the leader and you, he's kind of farther back. I haven't decided yet. I think I'm just used to thinking with the with the younger Dane, I don't like putting him as the leader. But as for Ian's comment about taking all four heroes, I get where you're coming from. Like that's the the value way to go. But I think I don't know if I'm comfortable with, you know, dropping so many guys and going down to 30. And as much as I like the multiple three attack heroes, like burnout strategy, where you just tempo through the other opponent's armies, like hero combats, all the way around, the issue is that they're all foot heroes. So I think it will be harder to pull off. So I think I would rather the direction that Charles chose and getting 40 plus models here.
3: I did forget that you had the that banner, like the actual banner model in there, when I was looking at it before. So, yeah, that is good. And I guess you have the cab too. This is probably the most like, well-rounded way you could build the Legion. I'd agree with that.
2: Maybe stick the um, the banner in the Iron Bills Captain Warband, just because the other two are effectively banners already.
0: Yeah, Richard brings up a good point that most of the options in this Legion are foot heroes. So, If I went with Ian's suggestion and had all four foot named heroes, I think they'll do really well in scenarios where there's a lot of combat because all four have three attacks. All four can heroic strike, but without a heroic march, and I'd be really leaning on those two goat riders to do a lot in mobility focused scenarios. And uh, I think with a below average model count in those scenarios, it would be tough.
3: Well, I had a comment is that I have actually been rethinking, like, how often I actually use Heroic March in my games, and I don't think it's very often, so I'm kind of starting to rethink how often I should need to include it. And with the high defense models, I But that's because
2: you sit back and shoot. Not everyone plays like that, either. <laughs> this is true.
3: <laughs> You've got me there. <laughs> And it obviously depends on army composition, too. Like, I wouldn't want to not bring a march if I had, like, a mostly Dale army, where it's, like, D5.
0: Yeah. Okay, so the second list with Dane Ironfoot King under the mountain will be from Ian today, and he'll be taking a list with uh, outside of the Legendary Legion.
3: So, yeah, I was trying to think of a way to use this Dane profile outside <laughs> of the Legion and have him, like, relatively useful and, like, decent. And the only way I could think to do that is in a list where he has the banner bonus, like the full-on army bonus, because otherwise the profile really does not seem worth it at all. So with that being said, I decided to go for a pure list at 500 points. So reasonably, you know, even if you were going to go outside and look for allies, if you're going to take this list, it's probably not worth it just because everything's so expensive. In any case, the list is uh, Old Dane, so or what is he called? King Under the Mountain? Yeah and he has one goat rider four iron hills warriors with crossbow one iron hills warrior with shield and five iron hills warriors with spear and shield and my second warband is uh, a champion of erebor on foot because he's not allowed to take a goat in this list and he has one goat rider three iron hills with crossbows and five iron hills with spears and shields so that's 500 points 22 models 12 dead to break six might and seven crossbows And basically the way you run this is kind of like, I don't know if anybody remembers back when the Hobbit edition existed and they gave us the army bonuses, but there was a while back there where you could basically take the Thorin, the champion version of Thorin and champion version of Dwalin on goat and like 20 odd Iron Hills warriors, but Thorin counted as a six inch banner. And it was a horrible list to face. It was very, very good at 500 points. And this is trying to replicate that. Obviously these heroes aren't mounted, which kind of sucks, But they still both hit incredibly hard, and I do have more versatility because I have the two goat riders and the crossbows. So, you know, there's a little bit of mobility in here with that. Hopefully, I don't need to run at the enemy because I have such high defense, so I won't won't take a lot of casualties. And I'll be able to dish them out because I have crossbows. It's not a perfect list, but I'm relatively happy with it considering I'm having to include Old Dane. And that six inch banner effect should be really good because it's going to cover most of my army, if not all of it. Yeah, I'm actually uh, I'm kind of a fan of this
1: one. I mean, the numbers are definitely low, but you've got two pretty good killy heroes, which I think is something that not a lot of armies will have at 500. And you have enough. I I don't want to say you have a ton of shooting, but you have enough shooting and such high defense that I do think you will force people to come to you. obviously that's that's the biggest weakness here right you have no march everybody moves five except the goat riders which move eight but i do think at 500 you should have enough as long as you're not coming up against like you know maybe corsairs or or some really really heavy shooting army to make them come to you and i think if people are coming to you or you have the missions where you're starting up and fighting pretty close by i think you'll do really well I think like I was saying earlier, like anything that you have to spread out, you know, is probably going to be just kind of a, I mean, you might just be able to take your your time and and shoot and pick away at guys on the objectives, but you're going to struggle there. But
0: I I actually think it's pretty solid. So Ian mentioned that this is kind of uh, inspired by a list from the previous edition. Personally, I see this more as like a classic dwarf list because the strategy from the previous edition, that only worked because you had two mounted heroes and one of them had free hero combats. You're not going to have anything similar in terms of momentum in this one. So the heroes will feel a lot more like an Army of Thor list or like a Kazadoom list where the heroes will be able to kill a lot of warriors and probably heroes, too, that they fight. But they'll be slow moving. They'll be they'll most likely be, you know, struggling to get into combat, I think. And I'm undecided whether I like the idea of taking lots of bows, because while I agree with Andrew that it's nice to have your enemy come to you, you're also at 22 models. And you're giving up not only the chance to give them shields, but also shield wall. So a list without Heroic March and only 22 models, I I don't know if it's better to have the defense, just to take all Dwarves with Spear and Shield. But I think this list will be really tricky to play outside of, let's say, Lords of Battle or a scenario where you're going to be up close really quickly. I think those scenarios, this will do pretty well. I believe Champion Dwalin still has the four attacks on foot, and with the banner reroll, that's that's pretty consistent. So I don't think you'll need to worry about your heroes performing in like fighty and close-up scenarios. But outside of those, you might struggle a bit. Your two go-riders will have to carry you in, in terms of grabbing objectives and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, I guess not too much to add here. I think it's a fine list, but again, I think it doesn't strike me as revolutionary. It kind of reminds me of like a three-thrower kind of list that you know I've seen you run in, and with slight variances, of course, you have the goat riders and army of Thor has the throwing weapons, but yeah, I think it's just a similar playstyle, but I don't think it's necessarily better, so I think it's fine.
3: I first thing I guess Charles, that probably is actually a really good comparison, comparing it to doom I think that's yeah, that actually I think it hits a nail on the head. Um, yeah, and then. The other thing I was thinking is, if you're right, you could you could run this without taking any of the crossbows, in which case I think if you do that and then you get rid of the goat riders, you can get your numbers up to like 24, but then like half of them or so only have shields and the other half have spear and shields. I prefer this one because you got more stuff in there to compensate, so you're less of a like only a one-trick pony, you have a bit of versatility, but yeah, I agree. A little iffy, but considering I don't really like the profile that much, I'm fairly happy with the way the list turned out.
0: Yeah. The other way is uh, that you could bump up your numbers and drop the banner. I don't level. have a banner. I just have Dane. Oh, maybe I should right. read the list. <laughs> <laughs> I, I usually already drop. have a banner. <laughs> okay. So, next, uh, so, finally, after reviewing all four lists, we're going to rank the list from best to worst. Which, which ones do we think are the best today? I think it's going to be between the two Iron Hills Dane lists. What do you guys think? Do you think that the new Dane can be good in in certain lists um, where it can stack up to the old profile or not a chance? I
1: don't think it's stacking up to the old profile at all, unfortunately. Um, But I, I do think I was, like I said, pretty impressed with the list that you built, Charles. I think if we're judging all these lists equally, I think it has to be one of the old Dane lists. I think I'd rather have old Dane, meaning original younger Tane, than than any of the heroes in, in the new lists that you guys have. So that's obviously, you know, a huge advantage for us. Having played both lists, I think, you know, if you're going for like I said, I, I think if you know the scenario pack and it's, you know, not the few bad scenarios that we've highlighted, I would pick Richard's list. And I think if you're going into a blind tournament, or maybe like a seven-round, you know, two-day tournament, I, I think it would be my list.
2: There's no need to be so humble, Andrew. I, uh, <laughs> I, I think I think your list is better, and I think the way that you uh, laid out your strategy, I think, makes a lot of sense. How you know, a lot of the times at 650 points, you're still only coming up against one big threat, and having Gandalf neutralize that, and then Dane. Like, having no opposition, I think that is a very scary thought. I think, yeah, I think mine is fine. But, again, that's probably the reason why I don't play a lot of peer. For all the haters out there, that's the reason. (laughs) Even with, like, a 10 out of 10 profile, like, there's only so much I can do.
3: Well, you've got a 10 out of 10 profile and, like, a 10 out of 10
2: siege weapon.
3: What could go wrong?
2: (laughs) Well, maybe not 10 out of 10 siege weapon after the nerf. Yeah.
0: Well, I still think that even if Rich's list is second place, it's still far above whatever is third place. I was actually surprised that you guys like the Legion. I think I have to see it on the table, but I'm still unsure about it, because in my opinion, the two Erebor new heroes and the two Dale heroes, they're all a little bit overpriced to me. So the fact that they're the four centerpieces of a Legion that loses some of the army bonuses I don't know. I, I just, I'm still unsure about it, what, whether whether the Legion bonuses make up for what you lose. So I don't know if I would put my list above Ian's, because while I think Ian's list has some weaknesses, and I might not build the list the same way, he does have the 6-inch banner, whereas mine doesn't. So what do you guys think? Do you think that the army bonus is that important? Because I feel like that was the main positive that we gave
1: yeah I think after after seeing the lists right and and I didn't realize this because again I I don't have the book yet so I've just read you know some of the blurbs online so I'm not you know perfectly versed on the rules but I think actually let me know if you guys agree I would actually prefer the dispersed three-inch banner on multiple Heroes to a single six-inch banner because if you have to split up in certain scenarios I actually would argue that's maybe more valuable that being said, I do still think that's a huge selling point of his is, is the uh, six-inch banner if you keep it pure. But it, it's tough because I think when you look at this new Legion, you look at the special rules and you look at the heroes. And I think, unfortunately, they're kind of underwhelming because of the new flashy heroes that the Easterlings have gotten. Right, Those are just hit you smack in the face like this is an awesome hero. This, you don't have to think about it. But i can see that list that you built like charles being actually more deadly than it looks because every fight you have is gonna have re-rolls you have the master of battle and then every fight is gonna have re-roll ones to wound if you can stack and those are things like if you guys have ever played kaz of doom which i know you guys are pretty big fans of here like re-rolling ones to wound is like probably the best army bonus in the game if not you know top three top five So I think on paper, people were looking at the Legion thinking like, I want this to be flashier, I want this to be better. But it's just these like very boring, very good rules that they slipped in there that I think, look, I haven't played it yet. And we have to see kind of how the new Knights of Dale are. But theoretically, just thinking about it, I can see this being a list that performs better on table than it does on paper
2: yeah yeah again like i think it's actually solid i think i would probably rank this above the list that ian brought just because the numbers and honestly like i am really surprised because there's no like weak hole like probably the only thing is you have a couple warriors of dale but that's you know half of them have bows so they're going to be farther back and then the other six like you can hide them fairly well And just having 42 models, like, yeah, again, like, this is not my style of list. I don't find it very terribly exciting, and I probably wouldn't play it. But I honestly wouldn't be surprised if it took, like, a small tournament and won it. Or, you know, finished, like, top 10 at, like, a bigger tournament. I guess coming into the podcast, I didn't think this Legendary Legion was competitive at all. But I think you've actually changed my mind. Even though it sounds like you're not convinced yourself. (laughs) i agree with that 100 percent
3: you know honestly i i I thought my list was doing pretty decent until i think richard pointed out that it kind of feels like every other dwarf list and then i was like damn he's right (laughs) so yeah no i think charles is probably better than mine yeah Yeah. just because it it is it is very very well balanced and then 42 models when the majority of them are iron hills warriors that's awesome
1: I don't want to sidetrack the conversation completely, but I have a quick question for you guys. Do you think now that we've looked through the Legion that just taking the new Erebor reclaimed with the new Dane profile and just having a green alliance with Dale, do you think that's better than the Legion? Because you would get the six inch banner on Dane and you get the three plus shoot and you you lose some of the special rules, but I actually don't know the answer, but I was curious what you guys think. I think it's pretty close
2: maybe at low points yeah i think you have to spam out more bows so if you go more dale heavy
3: maybe at like 650 700 you get old Dane and like a fair-sized warband and then two of yeah two of the heroes like one of the named ones and like a captain and then you just get a lot of dale bows yeah that's a six inch banner and a lot of shooting that's not bad
0: I agree on low points where that 6-inch banner will be better than the maximum of two named heroes that you're going to have that have the 3-inch banners. I think I'll agree to, to the point you made earlier. Having like three separate 3-inch three banner effects is better than one 6-inch banner effect. So coming into this podcast, I thought that the 6-inch banner effect is way better than anything the Legion offers. And, you know, I kind of question like the way it was written. But I think I can see the Legion probably better in like two-thirds of the time. And maybe going pure and keeping the army bonuses better like a third of the time, depending on what you're trying to build.
1: Yeah, that sounds right.
0: But this is actually a good segue into the open topic. Um, We'll be discussing theme today and its effect on the game. And obviously, Legendary Legions have a lot to do with theme. They were created in order to add more theme to the game. So... I think now is a good time for us to discuss theme in this open topic. So, I guess. You Using defense of the north as an example and what we've talked about today mostly about this legion but i guess now we can branch out to any of the new stuff or any other profile or army you want to use an example but how do you guys think that theme and legendary legions like what kind of effect they have on the game and in particular on competitive players
3: so my first two thoughts are Detri- the first one is detriment to, caused by thing because of which was the um, partially responsible for the uh, which you calls it the the hero of valor FAQ and we've talked about that a lot we don't like that the positive of legendary legions is that you get to have a whole bunch of cool army lists where multiple factions get combined that you wouldn't normally be able to do and then you get cool bonuses like that so that kind of expands the number of like army lists out there without actually bringing in new factions which is really cool
0: but ian i don't i don't think that that's always the case with legendary legions where it brings alliances together that normally can't happen it does in certain situations like Grey company normally you can't ally the twins with the rangers and the three hunters and like the alliance doesn't really work because the twins are heroes of fortitude so like in that sense it does create a new army that you wouldn't have been able to make before But there are also a lot of armies that make the pure redundant because it already existed and now it's a better version of it. So like, for example, like the new Dale version, unless you want to take Geryon, you're pretty much always going to take the legion. The legion's always going to be better than pure. So it's kind of replacing pure rather than giving us a new army.
3: Yeah, I I totally agree with that. I was just going to say, like, I don't know why that legion exists. So, but I agree.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think I really agree with your point. Well, a couple of your points charles i think for me like legendary legions fall into a few different buckets right like there's the theme and then there's competitive competitiveness whether it's competitive or not right so you have certain lists that i would say like they nail it on theme but they're not like super competitive right like a, a writers of amr like that's undoubtedly a thematic list it just doesn't have the options to be very competitive. And I think, you know, you could actually just build that list with the Alliance Matrix right away. So it's not terribly needed. Then you have like the redundant ones that you talked about, right? Like Return of the King. Like when would you take Dunharrow on their own now? You just wouldn't, right? There's no real reason to. Uh, or the the Druidan, Pass of the Druidan, I think it's called. There's plenty of examples of that. Then there's ones that are like competitive, but I actually think they miss the theme. And one of those that I cite all the time is like Riders of Théoden. Like that is a super competitive list that does not represent the scene in the films at all with how you build it because you wind up just going almost all heroes with like, you know, maybe a couple troops. And like that's not that's not how it was intended to be built, right? Same thing with the old Rangers of Athelion where, you know, yeah, Frodo and Sam were were in there and Smeagol, right? But like nobody's taking it because they're just trying to break the rules and go 100% bows but i'm a fan overall of legendary legions when they get it right and there's some that are just so good and they make me so happy that i feel like there is something there for legendary legions and to me the best example of it is defenders of helms deep like that's one that you can't ally you can't green ally the three factions that you would need and it's a list that has so much flexibility like you can look at really competitive lists for defenders of helms deep and some of them have Aragorn and Haleth, some of them have Gambling, and some of them have Haldir and Legolas. Like That is, like in my opinion, maybe the best-designed Legendary Legion to date. And it gives you a reason to play a list in a way that you wouldn't otherwise, right? Like, why would you take General Rohan on horse when you could take Riders of Theoden? You never would, right? but why would you take foot Rohan when all of their bonuses are, you know, plus one to charge when you're cavalry, right? Like you wouldn't, there's no reason to do that. So this just made, you know, a foot legion, it put a foot legion on the map. And I've been having so much fun playing this legion recently and it's thematic, right? So that's like when they get it right, I feel like it adds so much to the game. Like I would even argue the assault on Helm's Deep, the Isengard one, like nobody was playing those ballistas before. No, nobody outside of having fun was playing the bomb teams a whole lot, you know, and now it's a really competitive list and you're playing generic Rakai captains, right? So I think there's a place for Legendary Legions, but the problem I have with it is when, like Charles said, it makes other lists obsolete. And I also feel like the other example that you guys had where it's literally just the entire army with maybe one hero missing, like the Dale one and it's just like really stifles your creativity because it forces you into taking the same list that everybody else would take and it kind of limits your ability to be flexible. So I have some thoughts on how to fix it, but those are kind of my main issues with it.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with just being unique and also different than the main army list. one example from the Defense of the North is uh, the legion I'm most excited for, and I see a lot of hype around, is the assault on Lothlorien. So the, you know, goblin shamans, Mordor shamans with creepy crawlies, and it's always nighttime, you know, so you're putting in, you know, a lot of goblin archers who, frankly, a lot of people probably have converted, right, to shield guys. So. You know, you don't see a lot of these models and we've talked a lot about Drew's Egg and Ashrac in the past on our podcast. We love those models, but um, they're very niche and not very mainstream in the competitive scene. So I think that will be really cool. I really want to see how that one turns out. But I think switching tracks a little bit. One thing that kind of, you know, is big for me, which you guys might or might not agree with, is i don't like it when a legendary legion is not viable at all in the competitive scene and i understand there's a lot of less competitive players and that's fine but i feel like you know whether they're narrative or less serious there's a lot of options already so if you're a narrative player you know there's a whole scenario campaign in the defense in the north book that you have access to and if you're less serious you don't have to rely on the special rules. You can build whatever you want in the peer army list, you know. You don't necessarily need to do any of that. You can kind of construct your own. So it's it kind of like makes me feel like what's the point when they make they build a legion with these like marginally beneficial special rules that like can't be competitive at all. So yeah, I kind of feel like those are kind of a waste of space.
0: I think a um, perfect example of that from Defense of the North is the the Razgush, uh, the, the Legion with Razgush and the Spider Queen. If you think about all the bonuses that it get, aside from Woodland Creature, it's all anti-elf bonuses. And everything in the list you can find in Mordor and Dark Denizens, and I feel like it, it doesn't give any benefits beyond um, the Woodland Creature uh, th- uh, compared to if you just did a convenient alliance between those two armies. And it's a list that doesn't feel like it's very well thought out in my opinion. Like in terms of theme, it's, it almost feels like you're playing uh, an army in a narrative scenario with those special rules and what Andrew said earlier about how sometimes they get it right in terms of theme and competitive level, you can almost make like a Venn diagram or have like a scale where you have one corner where it's competitive, one corner where it's thematic and one corner where it's not thematic, and one corner where it's not competitive. And you could kind of rank all of the Legendary Legions to see where they fall I on, on that like map. I feel like
3: you could add a category in there for meme tier. Because this <laughs> Merkwood one kind of looks mean tier. Like, you know if your meta has a whole bunch of elf players at it, you just bide your time and you show up to this with a tournament and stomp a whole bunch of them. And then you never bring it again.
0: <laughs> yeah. I... So I think the issue is that like some legendary legions, you just won't ever see outside of a narrative kind of game. Or if someone just wants to have fun, there's always one or two, I feel like, in each book that gets kind of forgotten. So, for example, the first book, Honor or at War, Men of the West, I've probably seen it once on the table. And um, that was when the book first came out. People wanted to try the legions and you just don't see it anymore. It's just because it's completely not viable. And yeah. I agree with Andrew as well. For legions that are viable and are competitive, the issue is that it becomes like an automatic pick. Like It's better in every way, and it takes away the point of building an alliance or playing pure, and I, I don't know if I'm a fan of that because I think army building is a huge part of the game and a huge part of the strategy part of playing the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. And just still using the new book like you guys have been doing as an example, right? The new Easterling Legendary Legion. I, I don't know what it's called, that the Host to the Dragon Emperor or something like that. Like there's no better example than that Legion, right? Super competitive. I'm going to play it. I think it's going to be really good, but you have to take a 170 point model, right? And then the incentive is to take all black dragons in that model's war band of 18 right so maybe you take you know five or six black dragon cataphracts and 12 or so black dragon warriors but that's what 400 i mean sorry like three 300 ish points probably so the first 300 points of that army
3: is going to be the same
1: for every single person who plays it right and you know the new heroes are so compelling that you know the list building kind of part of the game is something i really enjoy and you could put your own spin on an army if the spin quote unquote is like okay you took rutabi and bro gear and i took rutabi and a captain like that's not interesting to me like that that's not something i'm excited to go and play against at a tournament it's like okay great it's host of the dragon emperor that's what everybody has and i already feel that way about i don't know about your meta what you guys see a lot but the legions that i see all the time even if i think they're thematic and they're uh, good competitive lists like i just get tired of it right like we have a ton of return of the king and people play a lot of like the black riders right and it's just like you know i come to these events to play like different lists and and that's something i get excited about you know so I think, again, going back to Defenders of Helm's Deep, because I just think it's so good, like you're only required to take Theoden, who is not even on horse, so he's under 100 points, right? And then from there, you have so many options, and all of them are competitive, and all of them are thematic, right? Because they were all there. And look, can every Legion like hit those highs that that one does? Probably not. But I feel like they, at this point, are almost forcing legendary legions like, oh we we have to throw this into the book because you know, I, I don't know, like it's just a let's do it because we have to, not because it benefits the game." And then, in terms of like what we could do to like improve this, I think having like your green alliance options have army bonuses that are so good that if you sacrifice them, you're really giving up something but then still having the game completely open to yellow alliances. So like you can put, you know, the Spider Queen in Mordor and you lose those two army bonuses, but it's not just, okay, spiders can be led without another hero. Maybe it's they all re-roll all wounds. Like they're all Venom-backed spiders. Like every army bonus should should be really, really competitive and also not tied to one hero. Because when you have it tied to one hero, it's less compelling to you know ally any other hero in the list you know what i mean so like in a green list we were just talking about you know the battle of five armies good list you only get a benefit for taking dane you only get a benefit from taking bard or or thranduil right so you know if richard's building a yellow alliance right those are great candidates for armies if he wants to pull from them using heroes that aren't those three right so like Legolas is an awesome ally because he allies with everything and he's not losing anything at all. It shouldn't be that way, right? There should be bonuses that are tied to the entire army. So you're really losing something when you don't uh, take the green alliance, but you're really gaining something by going yellow alliance and opening up the options of what you can take, right? And then you have certain legendary legions that only bridge the gaps between alliances that, you know, don't really make sense, like, like Defenders of Helm's Deep. And you don't force five or six new legendary legions every three to six months. I don't think that's great for the game.
2: So, correct me if I'm wrong, but I guess simplified what you're saying is instead of fixing yellow red alliances compared to like playing pure or green, is not by nerfing with restrictions, but by adding more positives and bonuses to like a green or a peerless. Yeah, that's what
1: I'm saying. And I, I think like, you guys let me know if you agree but i feel like people respond better to like hey men of the west sucks let's make it so that everybody gets plus one fight the whole game right like if they were to you know treat it like kind of a, a computer game like where there's these patches that come out that richard has talked about i don't know how you would track it right there'd have to be some online book or something like that like hey men of the west is now plus one fight the whole game right so you've got fight six you know men of Doll Amroth or whatever it is right and it's like wow now being all on foot and having to pay a ton of points for these heroes is maybe worth it right i always find like bringing up the weak troops people respond better to that than oh hey i had this really awesome you know yellow alliance that i was really excited about and you just took away you know heroes of fortitude and now i just can't play anymore i mean it's not an issue for everybody but if that's like your only force or your favorite force like that just feels bad you know
0: i think that's definitely worth considering for like next edition if they want to go down this path of giving us more restrictions and Legendary Legions, that's, that's one way to balance. I was just thinking, being a little bit of a devil's advocate, but I think one upside of restrictions, restricting army building and and um, giving us more Legendary Legions, is that I think for the general balance of the game, it's I think it's, it makes the game easier to balance. Because when you have one hero or one kind of warrior that's only viable in, in the context of one or two Legendary Legions, it's easier to make it like not overpowered, not underpowered, compared to if it can ally with 10 different armies. And all of a sudden, you're like, from a game designer point of view, you're kind of looking at like, okay, we got to make sure that they're fair in every single situation that a player might decide to throw them in a list. And we don't end up having like every single hero in this new book becomes like Suladan and where where you could just plug them in any list and it'll be a top table list. I feel like with restrictions, it makes it easier to have a balanced game and balanced armies. That's sort of like the upside that I can see, even though I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good counterpoint. Another idea I wanted to float by you guys that I've had, and this would be very hard to implement, but I'd be curious to hear your thoughts is having the alliance matrix me and, and john and evan on our podcast we talk a lot about this like there's no alliance matrix the alliance options are hero based so every hero has other heroes that they can ally with and my like couple additional thoughts to that are two additional rules to the game first is every hero has an army bonus so if you take like you know gandalf the white is your leader in Minas Tirith, He gives that army a bonus. If instead you have him as the second hero behind Aragorn Elisar, Elisar has an army bonus. So, like, there's an incentive for taking these heroes that you wouldn't otherwise take because maybe they give you a really cool, funky kind of bonus to the list. That was one idea I had. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And then the other one was you assign troops that heroes can take rather than armies. So, like, you know, Fountain Court guard spam doesn't really make a lot of sense thematically. So you say like okay aragorn denethor and i don't know maybe baromir are allowed to take fountain court guard in their warband and then maybe you assign lesser heroes that don't get a lot of play some interesting units so that their people are kind of more incentivized to take them i know that poses a lot of confusion and issues but that's like one thought i had to maybe you know make it more interesting to take different heroes and it's not just okay, cool, like I'm playing this army, I take Dane, Iron Lord of the Iron Hills every single time, and then I take, you know, a captain on go every single, right? Like having a little bit more diversity. What do you guys think of that?
2: Well, that's a complete overhaul. I think they would need. Oh, yeah. definitely hire, double their team or something. But um, I think it's a really interesting idea. I think it kind of does remind me like of a video game, like uh, Battle for Middle Earth where there's like almost like a tech tree that you choose and you go up a certain route. I think it's really interesting. I think what I would be afraid of, though, maybe it could be done differently. But with the heroes only being able to ally with certain heroes, what I would be afraid of is it would be very thematic, but it would restrict things even more. Considering the bigger the game, if you're trying to mix and match, like, let's say at 800 to 1,000 points, you need to take five or six heroes. Now you have to make sure they can all somehow be linked together. You literally have to be taking all the heroes that fought together in the actual battle, which would kind of take in a different direction.
0: I wanted to touch up something that's a little bit outside of our discussion about Legendary Legions, but it's also theme-based. And that is... I don't know if you guys have noticed, but in this new book, Defense of the North, all the heroes are on foot and all the heroes have no war gear options. So the impression I'm getting is that the game designers want us to just have one way of playing a hero and not to like deck it out with war gear. And they're moving towards like one hero has like one specific role. So like, what do you guys think of that? Because I'm thinking that it kind of restricts also the way you're building lists.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I, I wonder how much of that is like intentional and how much is maybe just the armies that were included in this list. Like, you know, Lothlorien got a new hero, right? They they don't have any mounted heroes besides the captains, I think. And then obviously the dwarves are not really known for having a lot of mounted heroes either. And I guess maybe like Brand could have had a horse or I don't know, but I, nobody strikes me as Oh wow this hero definitely should have been mounted so i don't know if that's kind of what they're what they're planning but i think you might have said that because uh the dragon emperor for example you can't take on foot which i think surprised a lot of people because there was a foot model so maybe that's what you were alluding to but i don't know if that was kind of you know intentional or not but i kind of thought it was more to distinguish the different heroes right like the easterlings I think most people would say the one good thing that they had before this supplement was Amder, right? Like a mounted hero that's great at killing assassin type character, right? And I don't think any of the new heroes really fit that role. So I viewed it more as like, hey, here's a delineation of roles so that you can mix up your Easterling Force. We're not going to give you another mounted assassin killing hero because you already have that. And instead, we're going to give you this like foot phalanx you know battle commander with the master of battle rule and we're going to give you this like you know super warrior priest so yeah I don't I don't know if that was intentional or not but I will say having come from Warhammer Fantasy 8th Edition that was my first game that I played you know growing up for a really long time that then became Age of Sigmar that's kind of what they did Charles is they like trim down the rules so you used to have like a mount profile and a rider profile And then they just made it one. So it was like, now this is just your profile. And we've combined wounds and combined stats and tried to balance it that way. So it's an interesting point. I didn't think about it until you brought it up. I could see them going that way because they've done it with other games. We'll see what the next supplement looks like. But I think it might just be a coincidence given the armies and that they're mostly on foot.
3: That's what I was thinking, too, when you first said that. But thinking back on, like, all of the supplements, like, not a lot of things have options. I mean, a lot of those heroes are, like, pretty low points and, like, cheaper ones, and usually those don't have as many options, but still, that interesting, like, what is it? There's, there's like, throwing spears on Dernhelm, uh, a couple horses on the Rohan characters, and that's it,
0: I think? Like,
3: even freaking,
0: what is it? Curran has a horse option, but yeah, generally not not a lot of options if it it feels like there's a lot of restriction in terms of uh, taking heroes.
2: I think the horse and the mounts are a whole different topic, and you guys make some good points. But I think from what you said, Charles, it got me thinking more about the war gear, because as a Thranduil player... I feel like that's always takes a lot of thought. And it's also thematic of how you want to, like, build Randall. Like, you know, do you want to go all foot? Because there's advantages there. Uh, do you want to take the sword? Do you want to take the crown? And they all do a lot of different things. And I, I feel like it's also like you can build your army thematic to to your leader as well. Perhaps they could apply that to a lot more heroes. We have like stuff like Orchrist and stuff, but I feel like a lot of the war gear, there's not a lot of thought into it or the war gear is not unique enough. I do like the, you know, Enduro, like it is 40 points and it does something like quite different. So it is, it's like a consideration and whether you want to build a list thematically of Aragorn before he got the sword, whether it's in the book or the movie or after, you know, I like that, like creativity based on the movies. You can have, like, Gandalf with only the staff or or with only the sword, you know, after his staff got broken by the Witch King. I know book readers, it didn't happen. But, you know, I was really disappointed in Men of the West. Like, he's just, like, he doesn't have the staff, right? But, like, that's it. Like, he's not, like, you know, he, he should be more focused on his sword skills. So he should be, I don't know, to me, they could have made a rule about that.
0: Or uh, Actually, he has the staff in the Legion. He's just a normal Gandalf
2: okay well then yeah I don't know what to say there but I feel like Richard's maybe,
1: gonna start playing it now because the Legion's a lot better than he thought
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was the make it or break it <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah I, I just feel like maybe they have some room for creativity with the war
0: gear yeah
1: it was interesting that like Thranduil was the first one that came to mind for me too Richard and like that's the only character I can really think of like sure Aragorn like on a smaller scale maybe but Thranduil is the only character I can think of where I don't think like okay maybe the heavy armor is an auto take right but like other than that nobody could fault you for any configuration of a Thranduil build and I can't think of any other hero that I feel that way about like there's a lot of debate on Azog right like you could take him with the warg you can take him with the signal tower you know the stone flail some people like it some people don't but Thranduil is, I think, the only one that everybody views as universally viable. And the fact that you have a hero that doesn't like taking a out is not like an auto include kind of thing. I think there's something there. Like, I, I think there should be there should be choice that actually leads to some real interesting decision making from like a list building perspective. And one thing I thought of is like you could maybe make it. I don't know if this is incentive enough, but like you can't special strike when mounted like something like that. So it's like, there's a reason to be on foot. Like, yeah, you still don't get all the benefits of knockdown and stuff like that, but there is a reason. And I don't know if special strikes would be enough, but like doing something so that there's so much brainless war gear, right? Like Kelleborn. I know it's not the most competitive hero, but like, when are you ever leaving the shield? When are you ever leaving the hand and a half sword? Like, why is that even an option? I know it's because there's two different models, but like for playing a competitive game and the war gear picks itself, that's not really that exciting. Even like the ring rates, right? Like I know there's people who swear by certain builds of like, I always go just one fate on my ring wraith because of blah, blah, blah. And I have three mics. So I know I'll pass it once. And other people who are like, you know, on the Witch King, I'll always go three fate. So like stuff like that, I think is just fun for the game. You feel like you're doing a little bit more in the list building stage. And most of the war gear options are just, you know, you just kind of point and click and you don't have to think about it.
0: I think one way to make it less brainless is to just adjust the points value a bit. So like, for example, uh, if horses were 30 points more, but the hero on foot is 30 points less, then you kind of have a little bit more of a debate, right? While you're not changing anything fundamentally, rules-wise, it does bring up more of a discussion, like, should I get a horse for this hero? I think a lot of it has to do with points value, like a shield for five points is brainless because it's almost always worth it. And a horse, 10 points, 15 points is almost always worth it.
3: I have a slight point tangentially related to the horses in the new book. And it's just a theory, but like, have you guys noticed that on a lot of the new heroes that are like combat heroes in the new book, they don't have options to mount, but almost all of them have some kind of bonus to wound. Like Bard II has the spear where if he gets charged, he gets plus one to wound. King Dane just has plus one to wound normally who gets rerolls to wound against heroes that are trapped, is, like, they're all getting bonuses to do wounds, to do damage, to compensate for the fact. So I feel like that's kind of an acknowledgement by the writers saying, yes, horses are ridiculous, but here's foot heroes that can be good.
2: I guess, like, to bring it back, I, I think you guys all make good arguments, but since we're talking on the topic of theme, right, I think the bottom line is if they give us the choice and balance choices... I think that will allow the most like natural lists that are themy and like as competitive players i think we're just you know drawn to like what's good but if things are truly balanced and like um, you know like a thranduil and like it all works i feel like naturally you will see lists that are you know built in a way that people are like okay this is like it fits the theme of my army as well and it's very competitive like you don't have to sacrifice one
0: for another
1: Totally agree with that.
0: Okay. That's been our discussion on theme and its effect on the game. Thank you to all our listeners for listening. Thanks to Andrew for coming on uh, the show and speaking to us today on theme and also the two Dane profiles. Great to have you.
1: Thanks, guys. I had a blast, as always. Have me back for more uh, overpowered Hobbit profiles whenever you want.
0: Make sure, if you haven't already, to go and check out his podcast. There and back again, A hobbyist Tale. You can find uh, all of the lists that we discussed today on Facebook. Just search Into the West Podcast and they'll be on our page. Once again, thank you all for listening and look forward to the next episode of Into the West Podcast.